Yeah. And it's a great story, but I want to backtrack for a moment because what happened was I decided I want to be a franchisor. And then I'll be honest in saying that I quickly realized I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I've run a business. I've been successful as a CEO. I've, I understand franchise development. I understand franchising intimately, but I had never been a franchisor. And I knew that to get to the level I wanted to get to, I needed a partner. And so Zach and I, that's a story that maybe Zach could take. Yeah. That's the- it kind of starts with too, like a franchisor is really like two different businesses all in one. You have the franchise development side of things where you're going to find that right person to come into your system. And then you have to make that person successful. And to me, those are two completely different skill sets. And so where I've struggled in my career is in the franchise development side of things, Dan has excelled. And then where I have excelled, Dan just doesn't have that experience yet. So it, when we were finally kind of like we're introduced to each other at that point where he wanted to start this business and I was looking for something a little bit bigger than what I was currently doing. And it just seemed, seemed to be that perfect marriage of skill sets and also backgrounds. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey, everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have Dan Claps and Zach Nolte co-founders of Franchise Playbook, who just acquired their first franchise brand. Both Dan and Zach have extensive experience in franchising. And now, with Voda Cleaning and Restoration, they've joined forces and are looking to build a new age home services franchisor holding company. They're off to a strong start with Voda Cleaning and Restoration. So if you're interested in buying a home services franchise or want to learn about what opportunities could be out there as a franchisor entrepreneur, then you'll enjoy this conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I'm impressed with how Harry is helping franchise owners. Hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on one powerful platform that's used by over 50,000 locations today. Visit harry.com and tell them the Wolf sent you. That's H-A-R-R-I dot com. So, Dan, you and I, obviously, you know, I was on your podcast, I don't know, five, six months ago. So we've chatted before and we've gotten to know each other. Zach, you're a new guest in the Wolf of Franchises universe. But I think a good starting spot before we get into Voda Cleaning and Restoration would just be, uh, Dan, you know, you've definitely had some past experience starting and running businesses in the franchise world. Do you want to kind of just give an overview of kind of, you know, what you were doing before you became CEO and co-founder of Voda? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Wolf, for having us. We're, we're super excited to be on here. I've been looking forward to this. I'm Dan Claps. I'm CEO and co-founder of Voda Cleaning and Restoration. We're actually the first cleaning and restoration franchise opportunity that combines a, we'll get into that, but I've been in franchising since 2014. I got into it at a young age. I had a business in college that I started and learned that I had more of a job than a business. It wasn't systematized. I couldn't sell it. It was just more of a job. And so nobody wanted it to buy. So I learned a lesson there and decided to unravel that and go into franchising because of the systems that I could learn from buying a franchise. It's all about systems. And as I explored franchises in 2014, I really fell in love with the process of exploring the options and the way that someone would present them to me. And so instead of buying a franchise, I got into a franchise for business and franchise consulting. So I was actually a franchise consultant in a franchise, if that's not confusing enough. (laughs) Did that for a couple of years. I did pretty well, but I realized that I was still now building more of a job than a business that ran without me. And so in 2016, I was fortunate to meet my previous partner, who we formed a lead generation company called Career Transition Leads. And so from 2016 to 2022, we built that. And that grew to be a pretty large multimillion dollar organization doing lead generation in franchising. And so through that company, I look back on some stats, I indirectly and directly helped over a thousand people become a franchise owner. 
And as like kind of silly as it sounds, I really believe it's like what I was put on earth to do as, at least for my career is like to help people become a business owner. I love it. So in May of last year, I exited that business when a private equity firm acquired it. And I knew I wanted to stay in franchising, but I needed to do something new, but I wanted to hold on to that calling of helping people become a business owner. And so decided, you know what? I've helped a lot of people become a business owner. Why not marry the ones that reach out instead of working with them short-term? Let's let's work together long-term. And so I decided to be a franchisor. Beautiful. You know, I know you guys are obviously kind of just getting up up and running with Voda Cleaning and Restoration. I believe, I remember the last time we spoke, this was off, you know, not in a podcast or anything, but you were looking at like small businesses to acquire to then go and franchise it. So is that what Voda is today? Is it a, you know, did you kind of take it off as an independent small business owner? And then you've just now are franchising that concept out? Yeah. And it's a great story, but I want to backtrack for a moment because what happened was I decided I want to be a franchisor. And then I'll be honest in saying that I quickly realized I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I've run a business. I've been successful as a CEO. I've, I understand franchise development and I understand franchising intimately but I had never been a franchisor. And I knew that to get to the level I wanted to get to, I needed a partner. And so Zach and I, that's a story that maybe Zach could take. Yeah, that's the, it kind of starts with too, like a franchisor is really like two different businesses all in one. You have the franchise development side of things where you're going to find that right person to come into your system. And then you have to make that person successful. And to me, those are two completely different skill sets. And so where I've struggled in my careers in the franchise development side of things, Dan has excelled. And then where I have excelled, Dan just doesn't have that experience yet. So it, when we were finally kind of like we're introduced to each other at that point where he wanted to start this business and I was looking for something a little bit bigger than what I was currently doing, and it just didn't seem to be that perfect marriage of skill sets and also backgrounds. I have a background of 10 years of running a franchise company with kitchen solvers. And it was a kind of a, an older brand and it was in a more of a re-emerging standpoint. So I was dealing with a lot of old school franchises, trying to change the game, bring more technology. And so I had its own headaches where I had to kind of introduce these new ideas and make this business or make that business uh, scalable, something that you could build for long-term exit plan. So when, the, when this opportunity presented itself, it was like, this is just the perfect kind of marriage for the two of us. And we spent probably a month and a half kind of going back and forth late nights and weekends really trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And then it started getting into what industries do we want to get into? And I don't know how many different avenues we went down for the industry, but we really kind of settled into the restoration space. And I think then that kind of progressed into, all right, now let's start interviewing restoration businesses. And we looked at hundreds of different restoration businesses in itself. And we kind of really fell in love with this one specific model, uh, which then has turned into to Voda. And so we can definitely dig into that a little bit because that's a fun story as well. Yeah, no, definitely. So we'll dive into that in a sec. But so were you a franchisee for Kitchen Solvers or you were on the franchisor team helping franchisees? Yes, I was I was hired by Kitchen Solvers in 2014. And then I went up the race a little bit there and became the president of the company in about 2016 and started running that company. And it was more or less, uh, there was some turnover at the upper management side of things. And it was really the, the push of the franchisees at my very young age that they kind of pushed me into that position. I was a little reluctant at the time because I didn't feel like I had the skill sets in order to do so, but they all believed in me and trusted me. And so they were the ones that kind of pushed me up into that space. And I, I loved it. I mean, I learned so much about managing franchises, really understanding what the franchisees want and really focusing on franchise satisfaction. I think if you start with franchise satisfaction, everything else kind of falls in line with uh, per unit metrics, understanding what they need and want building out advisory councils and how to communicate appropriately. All those things just were kind of learned on the fly for me, but also allowed us to really kind of scale this really cool culture that we created at Kitchen Solvers. Yeah, no, okay, that's fantastic. And I mean, yeah, now I can see why you two partnered up. Definitely <laughs> a good match there. Well, so you guys said you did a bunch of research. Why did you decide on restoration as the category? Yeah, well, I'll jump into that for a moment. You know, we knew we wanted to be in home services. It's a $500 billion annual industry, according to a Home Advisor report. And, you know, it's a massive industry. It's Zach's background. I had a lot of experience in doing development in that space. I love it. I'd buy a home services business if that was what I was going to do in franchising. So 
we knew we wanted to be in home services and we looked at dozens of industries and really it was a tall order. So I'll just kind of, I'm going to give you some of it, not all of it, because it'll get a little boring, but just to name a few of the list, we wanted a business that was a need, not a want. We wanted a business that was growing. It's a $200 billion industry growing 5% year over year. And so we wanted to be in that. And it's actually, it's a misspoken statistic. It's a $210 billion commercial industry and a 290 if you include residential. So it's a massive industry growing 5% year over year. We wanted a business that a third, like we love that third party pay insurance pays a lot of the time, which is nice. Floods and water damage are going to continue to happen. They've happened throughout history. They're going to continue to happen. There's climate change effects where there's more. And then the average age of the home in America, the infrastructure gets older and older. And so there's more and more pipes freezing and issues with water damage, 14,000 water damage cases a day. And so we basically wanted a business that was easy to open. It was scalable. We get our 30 to 90 days, you could be open. And then finally, we loved the fact that it was non-licensed labor. You don't need, there are some states, there's six states that you need some certifications, but overall we can train people how to do restoration work. And so that was what some of the indicators of why we wanted to be in restoration specifically. It sounds like you guys definitely did your homework, which is good to hear. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but obviously not <laughs> not every franchisor does their homework. So it's, that's always good. Um, I love it. Need, not a want. And then the non-licensed labor, that's also critical. You know, I, I do see a lot of folks, which this isn't to say it can't be done or you can't be successful, but my first job out of college was in the HVAC industry. And so I know intimately the struggles of basically a non-licensed owner getting into a field where you literally then depend on your labor and all the licenses they need. And it, there's issues that can develop rather quickly if if you physically can't do the work. So yeah, that's fascinating. And we also had a, I had a serve pro franchisee on recently and you know he was also getting into LE Mental Health, another franchise, but he did give us some insight into kind of the commercial aspect and you know getting paid by insurance providers and it's definitely overall a net positive for sure. But I want to get into that. But I also am curious because it is fascinating, I think, what you guys have done. And I think it's a playbook. It's not for everyone. It definitely requires a bit of sophistication. But the idea, you know, there's this whole concept of the silver tsunami, the gray wave, whatever you want to call it, right? Baby boomers retiring. There's all these small businesses up for grabs. And what you guys have done is you've just acquired a small business and now you're franchising it. And it's, I say it's in a good way, but it's a bit of a cheat code, right? In that you didn't even have to build a business. You just acquired a cash flowing asset. And now you have, you're franchising it, which, you know, folks have been listening to this podcast for a long time. I've had folks, you know, like Koala Insulation, the founder and CEO of that. It's an insulation franchise and they're getting, I mean, if you do the math on the royalties and everything that they're collecting, it's well into, you know, they're approaching a hundred million valuation. So you guys have a ton of upside. So yeah, anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, kind of, can you walk us through that process of identifying the business? You know, how long did it take to find a business? Where'd you even look for these? Like, were you just yeah. hunting on a biz by sell? You know, what was that like? Yeah, well, I appreciate what you said. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we, most people start a business, they have success in their local market, whether it's a plumbing or roofing, whatever. And then they see the success and they realize that franchising is a great way to scale their business. And they are expert at plumbing and they decide to franchise. But the business was built as a plumbing business. Franchising is its own business. And what's interesting is a lot of franchisors, as they were successful in their local market, they don't know how to franchise and it takes a lot of time to learn. A lot of those mistakes you can't undo because as Zach said, once franchisees are in the system, you can't undo a lot of it. They have to all then agree to change. And so what I look at us is we're a franchisor company. We went into this with the design and that changes our decisions around how do we make this successful for as a franchisor and for our franchisees, not as a owner operator of a business. And in some ways, I mean this in a nice way, not an arrogant way, but like your business in the local market and whatever vertical you're in, it's kind of like the minor leagues. When you go into franchising, it's the major leagues. You can't mess up. You have people investing in life savings or sometimes, and you know we take that very seriously, that responsibility. And so with being a franchisor, what we did was we knew we wanted to be in restoration. So this is a fun story. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. We were, yes, biz by sell. We had guys on our team and a girl on our team just scouring the internet. And I was driving around meeting with founders because a big ingredient is if the business checked the boxes, we needed a partner in the founder. And so 
in like months of doing that, just bopping around, looking at brands or businesses, I had a call, I got a connection to a business in Virginia. And it's a funny story because I created to the movie, The Founder with Michael Keaton and a nicer, more ethical version. I know he, in that movie is a little harsh, but um, yeah. <laughs> in some ways I, I resemble him in like, he's a bit manic, he's kind of crazy, but one thing he is, he's, he's driven, right? And he's, his work ethic strong. Yeah, yeah. And so I say to myself, it's in Virginia. I live in New York City. It's a four and a half hour drive. I'm going to shoot down Monday morning, 6 a.m., get there for lunch, check out the facility, and I'll shoot back that day trip. I get there. We do lunch. The founder's an incredible person. I go to see his business. I've never seen more systems in place in a non-franchise company. And I call home and say, basically, hey, I'm going to stay here for two days. I'm not leaving. So it's kind of like that creepy Ray Kroc character that didn't, yeah, didn't leave. Exactly. <laughs> but the founder of that business, who is our partner, he moved here from Serbia in 2005 with nothing, no, like didn't speak the language. His buddy was a lifeguard. So he came and saw that he was making money and coming back to Serbia each winter. So he came, did the lifeguard thing, went back to Serbia each winter. He did that twice. The second time he got back to Serbia, he realized that's it. I'm, the second he landed, this is the last time. Next summer, I'm going back. I'm going to make it in America. So he moved here. Long story short, you know, it's kind of funny. He was a security guard in a nightclub. He met his wife, now wife, through that nightclub. So he quits because he decides as they're getting engaged, not the place to work. But at the time he's quitting, he notices there's always this other European gentleman that's always in the nightclub. So he's always have a lot of money. And so kind of like in that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, where Jonah Hill's character sees Jordan in the diner and says, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you show me a pay stub, I'll quit You're my job right now. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like right that. Now. He says, hey, I just quit. I have two weeks. What do you do? Like, I'll come work, you know, for you. And the guy's like, I do carpet cleaning. And rest, uh, so he ends up working with that guy. That guy goes back to Europe, says, run my business, we'll split the profits. So Dragon, the founder, ends up being kind of like a hybrid franchisee, learns the business. They end up moving on eventually. And then he starts his company in 2009. So the business has been intact since 2009. That's a hell of a story just from that founder himself. Holy crap. And just to summarize that, so he took that from a carpet cleaning business, built it up, restoration work kept coming in because when you get in the home doing carpet and the business doing carpet and floor, it resonates and it leads a lot to restoration often. And so he ended up building this very strong empire really in restoration and cleaning in the Northern Virginia area. Really what sets his business apart and why we became so interested was the fact that they do the cleaning and the restoration. Got it. So if I'm hearing this correctly, you know, if uh, you're a carpet cleaning business, I mean, as you said, there's a lot of water damage already occurring. So naturally, maybe you're getting carpet cleaning business because someone just had an issue with their water. So like it was a natural kind of funnel where he went from, oh, we're already doing the carpet cleaning. Why don't we also do the restoration work as well? Because it's, it's probably like a dual combo for a homeowner. That's where we really start to really love this model is that you have the cash flow of carpet cleaning, which is a little bit more predictable. You're running like two jobs a day. Uh, you can easily do digital campaigns. You get your name out there. It's a need that people need to get their carpets clean and their stains and whatever else. So like you're getting into the home. Once you're into the home, then you can start listing off your other services, mold remediation, air duct cleaning, and water mitigation. I mean, how many owners do you know that have like a business card or a business top of mind for if their basement were to flood? They don't. They, they're not even really sure what the next step is if their basement does flood. And we're talking about things like your washing machine all of a sudden overflows and you wake up two days later or go down to your basement and you notice there's water everywhere, that type of damage. Yeah. And so at that point, now you, you have the, the ability to extract the water out of the basement. Now you have the, the ability to clean that carpet and replace it. And so there's just all these different other revenue streams that come from that, that one type of homeowner. And from a business model, it allows us to scale quickly with the cash flow of the carpet cleaning, start building the relationships, getting the name out there. And at some point, then you're starting to change the business model a little bit into more of a restoration heavy. A lot of companies that focus on restoration first, it takes them a lot longer to get those relationships built up with insurance companies, property managers, homeowners. And we have an immediate kind of cash flow source that allows us to get into the help. And so that's why we just absolutely loved it, the model between the two holes, kind of separate business models all in one. Fascinating. Is there, it sounds like, so your wedge right into the home is the carpet cleaning business. And then 
from there, you're layering in the restoration services over time. Yeah. But from the carpet cleaning perspective, you know, like what's the landscape like when you assess that? And, you know, if I had to guess just based on other home service franchisees and franchisors, and even uh, within the world of Twitter that I'm in, there's a lot of just independent small business owners who are attacking the home services space because it does seem to be a lot of let's call it legacy operators who have been in business for decades. And basically, they're still operating with fax machines. You can't even get a quote via their website. They don't pick up the phone. So the competition level seems to be, you know, it's a low bar to get over, allows people to, you know, get in touch with you. And you maybe you do some local SEO campaigns, things like that, that these legacy operators, they haven't caught up with the times. You know, people seem to have moderate to pretty great success, honestly, in home services. So what's the case though with carpet cleaning? Is it along those lines? Yeah. So I think it really comes out to, a lot of it comes out actually our branding. We spent a, a pretty penny and worked with a, a really awesome agency in, in creating our brand. And so it's doing a lot of like those little things correct and doing it right the first time. There's also another point too that someone made to me and I, it really resonated is that there's a lot of these really old legacy carpet cleaning and restoration companies out there. And for them to make small minor changes in their technology, that's a massive like upbringing, a massive hurdle for them to overcome. And so we're able to kind of come in with new technology that they know about, but they're not able to implement. And so we now have these like technology partners that we can come in and really streamline that, that process from a consumer standpoint and make it easier for them to work with us. And then also too, on the restoration side of things, we have this, these programs and this technology that we're able to now streamline a lot of the communication with insurance adjusters and, and whoever else. And so just that alone and us not having anybody to answer to except for setting up the operations 100% perfect from day one, we now have this huge advantage over everybody else that's been in business for quite some time. And just to piggyback on that for a moment, you know, carpet cleaning alone is a $6.6 billion industry growing 6% year over year. And it we saw that it was also, best way I can explain why we got into these spaces is they were both fragmented. There wasn't a insistent and predictable experience in that area. And when you look at brands like Dunkin' Donuts, Massage Envy, Orange Theory, Club Pilates, whatever household name, what they usually did was they came into a market where it was fragmented and they created a consistent experience. So for example, Massage Envy, before Massage Envy, it was like expensive massage, random, janky, weird massage. Like, honestly, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Cheap, but not consistent. And then Massage Envy created this idea of, hey, anyone should be able to have access to a massage on a street corner. Club Pilates did the same thing with Pilates. Sort of pro with painting, right? So, you know, there are some big players, of course, in restoration, but what we saw was it's a massive industry, even a billion dollar system-wide franchisor is admitted, you know, basis points of a percent of the market share. And so what we saw was, hey, we're not competing with them anyway. We're competing with the mom and pops. Now, when you invest in a franchise, you're investing in two things, a system and a brand. Now, in an emerging brand, which is not for everyone, but with an emerging brand like us, you're not investing in a brand everyone knows yet, but you're investing in a brand that is going to stand out. So for example, McDonald's in the 50s, people didn't buy McDonald's because everyone in America knew McDonald's. They bought it because the system made sense, the early franchisees. The system made sense. And then those golden arches were going to explode. You could tell that that would penetrate markets the way it was back then, especially in the 50s. So what we did is, you know, to give credit to the agency we used, they work with companies like Home Depot, Target, Buffalo Wild Wings. They use market graphic, demographic, and psychographic data and so really, we created a brand that we knew would stand out in the minds and hearts of the the average homeowner of today. Got us, right? we own the home, right? The, the oldest millennial is 30 or something like that, right? So the homeowner's demographics have changed. And so our brand really stands out. And then, sorry, last thing I'll say is I think when it comes to carpet cleaning specifically, where we're thriving in the flagship location is it's really centered around the customer experience and then being wowed in that sense. I mean, there's only so much you could do to clean a carpet, not to put it down. But it's like, it's cleaner, it's not clean, right? It's the way yeah. that we approach that service that I think is a USP for us. Got it. I love the strategy. But when it comes to branding, you know, so for home services, I definitely agree. I mean, a modern brand and especially being able to relate to maybe the millennial demographic is certainly important, especially at, like really at the local level for a franchisee, because that kind of goes back to right what, what I was saying with the legacy operators and, you know, their websites are crap and, and in the brands along with that are probably 
you know, just a lot of people, at least in the HVAC world, it was just, you know, very generic names. It was something, you know, blank heating and air conditioning. And it was just every brand seemed John's the same. John's heating so and I, air. Yeah, yeah. Just nothing to it. And there was one company, though, that was the biggest by a mile. They do like 80. They're just they're not a franchise, but in New Jersey, they do about 85 million a year. And it's called Air Group, but they have these pristine white or pristine blue trucks. And like, you notice it when you're just driving. If you're driving on the highway and you see their truck, you're like, whoa. And so it sticks out in your mind and the way the logo is too, but they crush. So I have to interject for a second, just because it's crazy. You just said Air Group. So I actually, John Conforti, the founder of Air Group (laughs) in 2014, I became decently close with him. No way. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a business broker, you know, I'm efficient. I like to be efficient. And I found out about Air Group and I somehow got in there and I got to go to his facility. It's a 50 plus million dollar organization. And, and he kind of gave me some mentorship at, in a few meetings. And he said to me, Dan, is this the oldest? Because there's like three John Conforti. They're like third generation owned now. The original. Well, his dad started the business. So like, I, I think he's passed away. This guy, John Conforti, okay. is the son who's like probably 70 something. Yeah. So yeah, slick back gray. I want to be John Conforti when I'm his Absolute age. Absolute legend. He's driving around his Bentley. He's got his yacht in, you know, Naples, Florida. He's there at 6 a.m. though with all the energy that you can have. <laughs> uh, wait, so uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but how, how'd you get in? Like, what was the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you, you probably won't remember. It, this was like a, a brief little stint, but for me, it was like the biggest deal in the world because I was so early in. And what happened was I got to meet with him and, you know, he basically said, Dan, listen, my marketing strategy is acquisitions. I can market and not know where the money's going to go, or I can buy a company. I lose one third of the business because they wanted, if it was Tim's, like we said, if it was Tim's, you know, HVAC, they don't want me, but two thirds I keep. I know where my marketing dollars are going because I acquired those customers. So I went in there and basically said, all right, I'll go out and I'll find HVAC companies and I'll feed them to you and you acquire them. There you go. Okay. I see the angle now. Yeah. That's hilarious. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I worked for, it's a franchise, but a majority of the locations are co-op. So it's kind of this weird hybrid cooperative model slash franchise called Johnstone Supply. But, you know, so we were a supply house for HVAC, HVAC contractors, plumbing contractors, and I was just a territory manager trying to bring in business with, you know, so I, I got to know Air Group. I mean, they already were buying from the Johnstone owner group that I worked for. But that was my introduction to brick and mortar slash franchise ownership in a very, very niche franchise. But uh, that's hilarious that you actually know them. So uh, anyway. Yeah, I'll shut up about him. The last thing I'll just say is because it's just an interesting (laughs) thing. Like the two things about him that I remembered was he made us meet him at like 6 a.m. Like before the day got busy. He had this glass office where you could see in. And I just was so like we were on the phone with someone today that's very wealthy that we we needed to talk with. And he was he was in his business working, doing I like people that get their hands dirty, which actually brings us to something we were talking about before recording about owning a business. But anyway, funny coincidence, man. That's crazy. I'm super impressed with how Harry's is helping hospitality owners. With Harry, you can hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on a powerful end-to-end platform. Join over 50,000 restaurants and hotels across the globe who use Harry to save labor costs and reduce risk through employee engagement. Created and run by passionate industry experts, Harry understands hospitality. Stop struggling to retain talent. Create great employee experiences. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. Yeah, I mean, 85, probably more. That was, I haven't been at Johnstone for, you know, four or five years now, but they were an $85 million business in New Jersey. And yeah, so they're absolutely crushing it. But anyway, back to what I'm saying about branding. So let's say like the power of brand at the franchise level, because we just went over, right? Like it definitely matters for your local franchisees. I guess like my, this is just a curiosity question for how you guys think about it. But, you know, for me, like, right, your consumer-facing brands, like the Massage Envies, the Orange Theories, McDonald's, you know, restaurant, all those concepts, that definitely matters. I actually believe, and I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a hot take. Of, there's it seems to be split on Twitter, at least, when I've discussed this, is that for the, you know, home services type brands, operations and the playbook matters like 10 times more than the brand because 
even the biggest, like Serta Pro, I think you mentioned before, right? Like, sure, they're massive in house painting. But if you asked, you know, 20 homeowners, hey, who's the biggest painting brand in America? I would be shocked if even one was like, I don't know. Like, as far as they know, Serta Pro could just be a local painting company to them. But that's why Serta Pro is amazing because, like, they know how to get their franchisees business. Whereas, again, everyone, you ask about workout brands, you know, fitness brands and food brands, people can name them because they're actively consuming, you know, in those businesses. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm just curious how you guys think about it. I think that's an interesting point, too, especially in the home services space. I don't know how many times I go, well, in a smaller town where I'm from, like you see Mr. Electric and no one knows that that's a franchise. Yep. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. Everybody's like, that's a, you know, cool branded truck, you know, they're local, whatever else. Like, no, that's a massive franchise. You can say that about a number of other home service brands. And so I think it's more or less that that feeling that is it's a big company within a small community. And so whether they know that it's a franchise or not, just still want us to show up to their home with professional shirts on, a really cool wrapped vehicle and have that level of expertise going into it. And that's what their whole brand strategy comes into and not necessarily being so focused on like the national recognition of it. And I think that there is a, a key differentiator between that and like the Anytime Fitness is out there where everybody knows that's a franchise, that's just who they are, they're in this space and, and it's not the same for home services. When you, yeah, like when you see a Voda truck drive down the street, like it definitely turns heads. It doesn't matter if, that's kind of what I was saying, like it doesn't matter if everyone knows about it, it's that that truck will turn heads there, right? Your yes. brand is amazing. Like this, I remember the first time I saw the Wolf of Franchises and the branding, Honestly, like it stood out in such a Thank way. You, it was it took like this space of what, you know, the consulting and an advisory space had notches. And so like I think that it's not about like everyone knows the wolf of franchises. It's about the second they see it, every human nature is to go, whoa, that's pretty cool. I, I, I what is that? So that's where we were intentional. Like, what the hell is Voda? Right. Like that was the nice. idea was to yeah. now Voda means water in Serbian, but and there's a reason uh -huh. water's our friend and our foe, right? Like think about it, it's the most important thing we needed to live. It's clean, <laughs> pure, but it also could like kill you and, and drown you, right? So, and water sucks when in your basement's flooded. So, but we <laughs> named it Voda because we wanted to pay homage to the Serbian roots, which by the way, that's a whole story. Restoration is like this Hungarian Serbian rooted industry, like Restoration One. Really? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Restoration One, United Wa Water Group, us, I think another one, a lot of the franchisors come from, for whatever reason, Serbia, Hungary, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a cool little history lesson. I, I didn't know any of that. Just coincidence that that happened. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned earlier, you know, I don't think I've ever come across a cleaning, carpet cleaning and restoration franchise. And I, I believe you mentioned earlier that you guys are the first. A, like, I guess, can you confirm that what I'm saying is cor correct? And then B, if that is the case, why do you think other restoration brands haven't done it? Because it does seem like a really smart fit. Yeah, I think I don't know why they haven't done it. Maybe they dabbled in it or whatever else that maybe didn't work out. We are we do know that there is a little bit different strategy on like the project management side of things. Whereas like carpet cleaning needs to be very dialed in. Everybody needs to know where they're going. The efficiency and the a lot of the profit margin is in making sure like drive time is maximized between jobs. Whereas restoration is a little bit more emergency and kind of call to action type of stuff. So when we work with like our call center that all of our leads are funneled, no matter whether carpet cleaning or restoration, are all going to this call center. They have to be the ones on the phone to, to kind of determine if this is a carpet cleaning job, can I schedule this? And then also, can I bid this job out for the franchisee versus restoration? It was like, hey, I need to forward this right away because this is there's a, an emergency we got to deal with. So there are some nuances in, in some of that, but what we really love and what we're able to leverage is, is like the utilization of our vans. We're setting these bands up so that they could do carpet cleaning or restoration. And we've also, I mean, us being newer to the industry, we've already kind of configured this band in, in a way that is different than, than the most people I've seen. And so we're maximizing the amount of space so that we can carry more equipment with us. And so if we are on a carpet cleaning job and all of a sudden we get that call that says, hey, you need to be on this job. We need to extract some water. We're able to kind of drop in and move to that job pretty quickly and still work on the same van. So there's some fundamental differences there, but we found ways to kind of leverage the two models together in the equipment package and the van package and also within our CRMs. Fascinating. Okay, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, part of the advantage is probably just being set up from day one <laughs> as, as this. And, you know, it makes me think 
this is going way back. I heard it on a podcast about, and this is a totally different category, but I promise the point's related, which is, you know, in America, obviously credit cards are prevalent. And that that is mainly because whenever it was, 80s, 90s, we had the technology and to build this, the infrastructure for credit cards. And at the time it was, you know, very progressive and tech forward. However, like then across the world in Asia, specifically, I believe it was Japan or maybe even China as well, not uh, as prosperous, you know, not nearly as much of an economic boom, right? Like we had the tech boom in America in the late 90s or early 2000s. Anyway, they missed the whole credit card wave, but they jumped when the smartphone, when, you know, the smartphones became popularized, they jumped from cash basically straight to you can pay for anything anywhere on your phone. And like WeChat is a massive app there. People have heard of that. And now we're kind of actually stuck in this. People still use credit cards, but it would be so hard for America to jump to what they do in Asia because we already built all this infrastructure. So when you're speaking about the restoration and cleaning, you know, even things like having your truck set up the right way, you know, if a restoration one or one of these big brands wanted to get into carpet cleaning, they have to get all their franchisees and change their systems at a pretty foundational level. So I'm going to guess that that is part of the advantage. And it just, for anyone listening, you know, think really strategically when you start a business, because you go down a certain path, it can be hard to change things kind of at that base layer. Really phenomenal analogy and really is probably the thesis of Franchise Playbook, our holding company that owns Voda is around this idea that there's, listen, we're the underdog. Like we're not a PE firm with millions and billions of dollars under management, but we are operators, we're strong operators, and we understand how to put systems in place. And so what I would say about what we're doing is there's amazing home service platforms out there. They usually will acquire a franchisor with 50 plus units and a few million in EBITDA. And then they take that and they improve upon it, but they also inherit problems. They inherit mistakes that were made by the original founder or franchisor. And so what we, our whole plan at Playbook has been like with Zach, when we started, it was like, hey, go out and write down like everything you would have done differently over the 10 years. You can't change now that system. It's just too late. And so I don't know how you compete with us in the sense that we have this ability to build for 2023 and ahead and we're thinking out that far, you know, 10, 20 years out. And we did that across the every department. Like our CMO also has like a decade in franchising. And so he came in saying, here's the mistakes they made at any time. Here's the, not that they made any time's great, but he was at any time fitness, Mayweather <laughs> boxing, you know, we're able to like give you an example. Cause I'd love to get into operations for a moment. Every area of our business and every business comes down to fundamental practices. That's why P can go into like almost any business and be successful. Cause there's MBA courses on how to run any business that you apply. Right. And so when it comes to a franchisor, like there's the friend dev department. That's a whole area. That's a business in itself, finding the right people to buy our friend. We're not picking people that off the street. We need people that fit our criteria that can be a good partner for us and vice versa. And so it, there's friend dev, but more importantly, it's like, how do you get customers, which we have a whole system of, of customer acquisition that we take off the plate of the franchisee. How do you answer the phones to book those jobs? That's a whole department. And then there's departments of training and hiring and and really every siloed department, we have a leader or a system in place. But one of the examples to your point is like, we're able to award a franchise to someone and say, look, this is how lead acquisition works in today's age. You need to invest into lead generation monthly, every single month for the rest of the time you own a business. Whereas at a previous system, like that may not be as easy. They didn't buy into that. Now you're changing things and it's we can't make that people do that. Whereas with our system, I don't want to say make, that's not the right wording, but we can strongly advise in the time that they buy the franchise, they understand why they need to do that. We're not going behind or reversing what we said. 100%. I mean, yeah, it's just uh, humans are habitual creatures. So yeah, if you get that new franchise owner and from day one, it's, hey, you invest in digital marketing or local marketing via XYZ channels, you know, once they get in that habit, you know, if, if something new comes out in 10 years that you know, some artificial intelligence marketing, maybe they'll, that'll have to be a conversation you have. But yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. If someone's not used to it, operating their business a certain way, you know, introducing what could look like a new expense, even though I, I firmly believe that, you know, marketing should be thought of as an investment and not an expense. 
But regardless, right, yeah, you guys are kind of starting off and setting the tone early. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that, you know, being a pretty big advantage. Another just quick example of that is like bookkeeping. Bookkeeping is something that like most people don't want to start that until they absolutely have to. And they let a few transactions go by. And then next thing you know, three months down the road, they're so far behind their books that they don't know where they are financially. From the before, about a month before they launched their business, our bookkeeper is already established, knows what the chart of accounts is, has already uploaded it, synced it to their CRM, and they have to use it. I mean, there's just no way around that, that we know that you need a bookkeeper. We're going to take that off your plate and we're going to apply our vendor that knows our business well. And you just can't get around it at this point. And so you're locked in contract with that person for a year. And at that point, you can decide if you want to bring in your own person or whatever else. But for sure that first year, we got you locked and loaded. We do that in a number of different ways throughout our item seven that you can check out. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I'm shocked actually that like even some very mass, very big franchisors that really don't, that kind of just let their franchisee decide if they want a bookkeeper or don't want a bookkeeper. Whereas it's, I mean, especially for franchising, right? And you just mentioned item seven. So we're talking the franchise disclosure document. You know, having a good sense of your franchisee's financials is critical, especially if you want to present it in item 19. So yeah, I love having that set up and it's good for the franchisee, but it's also equally as important for you guys as a franchisor. So, and speaking of, so, you know, I, I actually have your FDD up. You know, item 19, super impressive. You know, folks are new to the franchise world listening to this. There are some restrictions on what Dan and Zach can say that they, whatever they have disclosed, you know, they should legally be able to touch on briefly. But regardless, the highlights, I mean, 1.7 million in total gross revenue in 2022 for the company owned business. And, you know, about after the royalty and brand fund, I'm looking at tiny bit over 400K in adjusted EBITDA. And that's after like around a 200 grand initial investment at the, on the high end. So yeah, I mean, it's super impressive. And this is right. This is the based on the financials from, sorry, the original founder Dragon in Virginia that was started in around 2009. Yeah. I want to touch on something really quick and then we'd love to dive into this. Yeah. So I come from FranDev for my entire career. I've seen every single franchise come and go and succeed and not succeed. And like what we really are trying to be, and you and I have had a lot of conversations around this, which is around this idea of being really clear with what a business is and is not and what it takes. And so what I can tell you, like if someone's listening to this and they're interested in Voda, we've built a culture at corporate, which is, I think like Zach and my story is very similar in the sense that like we've both done well. Zach also had a previous exit with a a business he built, but we haven't done like our main thing yet. Like we were ready to do our thing. And our whole team here is like that, guys and gals that have done well, but want to do their thing. And so I think we're attracting franchisees that want to be in on the ground level and be part of that kind of, I've done well, but I've been the number two guy. I'm ready to be number one kind of thing. But what I always preface is that one, like this business can definitely grow to be a manage the manager business where your hands off, but that takes time. I don't care. We had this call we had this morning with someone, he was actually building a stage, like he's building the stage with his guys. He doesn't have to do that. But he said, guys, you want to build a business, you got to get your hands dirty. Like, and if you, anyone who tells you any way other is lying, I agree with that. I like to be in the trenches. I think people respect you when you're in the trenches. So I always preface that we have an amazing model that can be executive run, but you got to build the systems and you got to put some time in. Our item 19 is extremely strong and that corporate business and restoration in general, if you look at the item 19s across many franchisors in homes in restoration, they're strong, but it's a baseline, right? It's a baseline that you can look toward and and go toward, but you're going to have to obviously start from day one and build up and it takes time to build a business. But what we found is, I mean, you look at restoration, the average ticket is $2,700 in our restoration item 19 and carpet cleaning is 580. And so, you know, you can kind of understand like what a revenue per truck looks like and then kind of figure out how the business can perform. It's fascinating. And I think a big thing with home services franchises, right, since they're not brick and mortar, the way that franchises define the territory is different than a brick and mortar brand. I noticed, I think in item seven, it was around a territory is 85,000 people. So yeah, just any insights there for a potential franchisee that, that would be looking at this or any any home services franchise, I guess, you know, on understanding, I guess, like those corporate numbers, is that equivalent to a single territory or multiple territories? 
um, which either way, I mean, it's just still looking like a great return. But those are important things, I think, for for people to think about. Yeah, we, we pollute our item 19 and, and we kind of talk about what the operating territory looks like for the founding location. And so, you know, when you don't have the constraints of a franchise, you kind of tend to operate wherever you get jobs. And over 10 years, you kind of spread yourself out a little bit more. Yep. And so we did find that about 70% of his revenue came from about three territories worth of our territory. So Noted. Uh, we did put that in our IM-19. And when you do compare like our territories to other systems, it does seem like within home services that 80,000 owner occupied housing units is really kind of the threshold of that. Uh, some people project it out to like total population or whatever else. We care about the homes. So that's why we want to focus on the owner occupied housing units. And, and again, just to uh, highlight a couple other points too, is like we want to give the potential people that are going to join us and a better idea of like what actually goes into these numbers. So really digging into how many contracts was the average tickets of those contracts within restoration and carpet cleaning, because they are kind of different business models than one. And then we also want to say like, all right, what are our uh, per van revenues? That van going to a home, you can't take that same van and go to five homes at one time. So now can I, how do I start scaling this business? And by giving that information in our MIT and kind of extracting all the data from the 10 years plus of what our founding location has been in business for, we tried to give it as best in picture as possible and a really realistic picture as well so that they could take those numbers and now start putting this together their own projections. Sorry, just to piggyback one more thing on this area, because I think it's so important in franchising because I've learned that item 19s are complex when you've never been in franchising to understand. And, you know, Zach and I, just, we share this ethos of like, let's just be as candid and transparent as we can. And if people, I think, respect that. And so, you know what, I think franchisors sometimes, unfortunately, kind of leave out a little bit. And I just like like to bring light to is at the end of the day, like you're going to make an investment. You're usually going to use some type of debt financing to do it through an SBA loan or, you know, you should if you don't, fine. But think about your cash investment is going to be X number of dollars. And I can't tell people what their cash on cash is. That's up for them to figure out. But you want to look at your cash on cash return. But something to keep in mind when you grow a business to a million seven, for example, in revenue you know, you do need to add trucks. And I think that's with any company. But as you add the trucks, they're not cash like, yeah, you know, you're not buying a $70,000 truck with, you know, the, the, your profits of your business that you took home to your family, but you're financing another truck. And that's scaling as your revenues are scaling and that's scaling with the business. But I think people like sometimes kind of forget that if like our tagline at Playbook is to empower entrepreneurs to think bigger. And what that means is like, we're looking for people that, I'm kidding around, but like, I would love a franchisee that played a team sport, right? Why? Because if you want a franchise that's not going to be holding you accountable and helping you succeed, and we're going to be your coach. And I used to hate my high school wrestling coach when he was yelling at me. But the reality <laughs> was, I still call that guy. I still have a relation. Like he's, he was, he cared about me succeeding as not just as a, a wrestler, but as a young man and as a man, right? And like, we want to be the kind of organization where there's enough trust with each other where we can say to the franchisee, hey, listen, you told me you want to get to this revenue. Well, you got to buy another truck. You got to step up and get that next truck where you're never going to get there. So we're really looking for people that like have that shared kind of competitive mindset that we can be caringly candid and they should do it with us. Hey, you're not holding up to your area and we'll definitely process them telling us if we need to be held accountable too. For sure. I love the ethos of it. And yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of franchisors who can do better, let's say, <laughs> in item 19. And you are, you know, if you're a franchisor, I would love to see the stakes be raised higher almost in franchising in the sense of I don't get the vibe from the industry as a whole that franchising is this serious, let's call it sophisticated asset class, for lack of a better way to explain it. Because in reality, that's what it is. If you are trying to franchise your business, you are packaging up a concept and presenting it as a multi-six-figure, sometimes seven-figure, depending on the brand, investment opportunity. That That is what it is at the end of the day. And it just, you know, the casualness in which some franchisors are going about it. And I think there's this mindset that it's just, you know, it could be a way for them to quickly get some franchisees in and they're going to get rich really quick, but that's not how it works. And so, yeah, I love kind of where you guys are taking it because I do think people do need to take it seriously. Like if you're franchising, like you are in the big leagues because you're offering massive investment opportunities and you could be held responsible for it. So uh, it's definitely not this casual, 
you know, not everyone should be a franchisor, the bottom line. Like it's a big deal if you're going to try to franchise your business. And so, yeah, I hope others follow in, in, in the approach that you guys are taking. Yeah, I'll stop here because we could have a whole conversation around this, but I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I was having, we're fortunate that our business is in DC area. So I'm luckily, I'm, I'm pretty involved with the IFA, the International Franchise Association. I was having lunch with a leader there and, and I, we were having this exact conversation. And I think you'll see, first, I think you'll see more self-regulation as an industry. You know, at the end of the day, like no one wants government regulation if they can avoid it. You should be able to, you know, hopefully be a good actor and do the right thing as an as an industry. And I think you'll see that happen as an industry first. And hopefully that that happens. And then I think, you know, you will see more and there should be more regulation from government. And so I, I think like we're just trying to carve that path as much as we can. And, you know, if it means that we don't, you know, get someone that thought they could just buy this thing and do nothing, then that's okay with us because we want people that fit our culture and want to build something, you know, and make an impact in their community. Yeah. And just final question here as we're wrapping up. So what's the, uh, you know, I know you guys are at the beginning of your journey here, but what's the overall goal I'd say with Voda, but then also that holding company franchise playbook, you know, do you have like a North star of sort, like, are you trying to become the next neighborly brands or what's your guys thinking down the road? Well, I'll say what I think and then Zach jump in, but, um, our vision for Franchise Playbook, which holds Voda, is we want to have 10 brands. Our North Star is by 2030. Uh, I always preface that, like, the amount we're bought in on Voda is is unreal. Like, I, I just was on a podcast. I wrap my, I'm in the process of wrapping my own car in Voda swag, man. <laughs> I, I live for Voda, and so does everyone on the team. So the next brand is probably going to take some time. We want to really get this thing rocking, but we want to have 10 brands. What's a little bit different about us and our thesis is the idea is that each brand complements the next in a way that it's cross-promotional. So like, for example, we're heavily looking at plumbing because plumbing is a major lead source for restoration. And so we love the idea that either we can award a plumbing territory to someone and now they can work with the restoration or a multi-brand franchisee can say, hey, why don't I own, why not own the lead source that I work with? When your faucet leaks, you call the plumber. So we're looking to do that over time. And, you know, we're really trying to grow this as a preserve this culture, which is a very much like, like I said, we're kind of the underdog. We're operating together. We don't have any, you know, we're not private equity backed. We, you know, we want to build this uh, organically. And I put a good amount of my capital into this to make sure it was set up from an infrastructure standpoint. But, you know, we want to do this, we want to just do it right. But if that's slow, that's okay too. Like sometimes you're going to go slow to go fast. Definitely. Well, it sounds super exciting. And I think you guys are off to a good start with Voda. So, you know, I'm excited to kind of see where you guys take it. If someone's listening to this and wants to either get in touch with you guys directly or Voda and inquire about the franchise, you know, is there a good spot online to follow uh, along for you guys or, or the brand? Yeah, you definitely check out uh, myvodafranchise.com to get all the website stuff about uh, owning a franchise. Check us out on social media. We got Facebook, Instagram. Dan's heavily into TikTok as well, so check that out. And Dan's podcast as well. There's a lot of good information about a voter there. Maybe not TikTok. <laughs> it's, it's getting there. Try it. I, it, it. I get very few likes, but I'm not going to give up. <laughs> Playing the long game. Content is definitely the long game. All right. Well, that's great, guys. Look, this is a lot of fun. You know, I love what you're doing. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.